time in the study of your word. And Lord, we look forward to making application to our own lives and, and to be encouraged and, and uplifted and, and edified, how we need that so much. But Lord, also what I pray is it gives us discernment. Because what we have seen here is, is a godly king that sought to, to, to do uh, what was right and good before you, but Lord lacked discernment in areas of his life. And it would um, affect him negatively and the nation. So, Lord, we need that discernment. We need that wisdom in our lives. And that's what I pray as we study the scriptures is that is what would take place. So, Lord, we look forward to what you have for us. I know that some of us are tired. It's been a long day. We've been working. So help us to be attentive to the things that you want to say to us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Jehoshaphat, at this time in our study of Second Chronicles, he's the king of Judah. And he is very much a godly king. He, he's one of the, the real um, good kings that came along in the history of Judah. And we know that he was one that, as chapter 17 told us in our previous study, that he followed the commandments of the Lord. Uh, he was one that his heart took delight in uh, the ways of the Lord. He removed the wooden images in, in um, the high places from Judah. Those places where false worship would take place, and he removed them so that temptation wouldn't be there to, to worship uh, those false idols and to get involved in, in false worship. And so he was one that also sent the Levites and the priests throughout the cities of Judah to teach the people the book of the law, uh, the word of God. So here was Jehoshaphat, a godly king who feared the Lord, was loyal to the Lord, had really established the nation as he fortified the cities, but really what the strength in the nation was, was his godly leadership that he brought. And it says that the Lord established him, and, and he was honored by the other nations. And so Jehoshaphat did a lot of good things that benefited the nation of Judah. But also what we saw last week in chapter 18 is Jehoshaphat was one that ended up aligning himself or yoking himself with the ungodly king of Israel. Of course, at this time in, in uh, their history, as we're looking at Second Chronicles, it's only recording the kings of Judah. But we know that up north, there's the ten northern tribes called the House of Israel. That's what was recorded, the, all those kings and first and second kings. But here Chronicles only talks about the kings of Judah. And there was Ahab that was ruling during this time and his wife Jezebel. And most of you know that it was Ahab that was a very ungodly king. Uh, his wife, Jezebel, she was a very violent woman. They both had plunged the nation deep into Baal worship. And Jehoshaphat, because he wanted to bring the nations together, the ten northern tribes, the house of Israel, and the house of Judah together as one, because you recall that he would say to Ahab that, hey, we are one, and, and, and your people are as our people. And I believe that Jehoshaphat Jehoshaphat is he aligned himself with the king of Israel through marriage. In other words, it was Jehoshaphat's son that ended up marrying Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. And what we're going to see is it's going to cause great, great uh, harm to the nation after the death of Jehoshaphat. 
But Jehoshaphat, uh, we see that he goes in to see Ahab up north, and it's Ahab that is talking Jehoshaphat into joining him to go to war against the, the Syrians. Hey, why don't you come and help me get back Ramoth Gilead uh, that belonged to us? And Jehoshaphat agrees to that. He wants to hear from the prophets. And, of course, as you recall last week, we saw that it was the 400 false prophets that Ahab had that came and spoke. And they said, go ahead, Ahab, fight against the Syrians. You're going to gore them. And they were all dramatic and and, uh, making a big scene. But yet Jehoshaphat, uh, he did want to hear godly counsel. So they called for the one prophet of the Lord that came and ended up saying, saying that Ahab, that you're going to be defeated. I I see that sheep that are scattered on the mountainside, and you're going to die, Ahab. You're going to be killed in battle. And what we see is, even though the word of the Lord is given to Ahab and Jehoshaphat, we see that Jehoshaphat went out to battle. He put on his kingly uh, robes. It was Ahab that said, I'll disguise myself. And Jehoshaphat, again, with the lack of discernment in, first of all, aligning himself with Ahab when he shouldn't have, and then also going out to war and putting on your kingly robes, when you heard the word of the Lord that came to you and said that Ahab was going to be killed, that the house of Israel is going to be defeated. But yet he went ahead with his plans to join in with Ahab in this battle. Jehoshaphat is a little bit of an enigma to me because, yes, he was a godly king. He did some great things. He brought godly reforms to the nation, but he lacked discernment. And I believe that today what we see in the church more and more is Christians that lack discernment. They may uh, love the Lord. They may want a desire to please the Lord, but they don't have real discernment, knowing what is right and wrong, what uh, I should get involved in and what I should watch out for. And the Lord desires for us to have discernment. And the only way for you to have discernment is to grow in the Word of God. It is a mature Christian that is going to show discernment in his life. Hey, I know that if I yoke myself to this thing, or if I go in this direction, or if I get involved in this, that it it may not be good. It's not a, a good situation. You know what the word of the Lord has to say. And so we all need to be ones that are discerning and listen. It is very important that, that we pray for that. Lord, give me discernment, especially in the day in which we're living in, because there are a lot of voices that are out there. These 400 voices coming and telling Ahab just the things that he wanted to hear. And you can't just say, hey, that sounds good, that looks good, but you need to have discernment and line it up with the word of God. Is this something that I am to be involved in? Is this something that can benefit me spiritually? But Jehoshaphat, he didn't have that discernment. So Jehoshaphat, he ends up going out to battle. And the Syrians see him in his kingly robes, and they thought it's Ahab, and they're going to kill him. And Jehoshaphat cries out to the Lord, and the Lord ends up saving him. And now we pick up chapter 19, where he's going to come home to Jerusalem. So let's pick it up in verse 1. Then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned safely to his house in Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hanani, uh, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore the wrath of the Lord is upon you. 
Nevertheless, good things are found in you, and that you have removed the wooden images from the land and have prepared your heart to seek God. So it is worth noting here that just the fact that Jehoshaphat reached home safely. He made that bad decision to join, to yoke in uh, himself, to, to align himself with Ahab when the prophet told him that they're going to be defeated. And this verse 1 here speaks really of God's grace. And of course, we know that Jehoshaphat violated what God's word says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, that believers are not to yoke themselves with unbelievers. When it comes to yoking yourself, traveling with, joining with you know, someone in a business venture, or someone who's single, who's dating a non-believer, or somebody who is a Christian who's wanting to marry an unbeliever, don't yoke yourself with an unbeliever. Paul goes on to say to the Corinthian believers, does lie have fellowship with darkness? And of course the answer is no. So the Lord tells us, he warns us in his word, not to yoke ourselves, that is being joined in with. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't talk to somebody who's an unbeliever. It doesn't mean you can't share with them. It doesn't mean that you can't ever go over to, you know, you got family that are, are non-believers. Because I know we're going to be coming upon the holidays here pretty soon. And you're going to be with those who are non-believers. But the word is clear. Don't be yoking yourself with them traveling with them because eventually what's going to happen is values and beliefs are are going to come up and are you going to be able to travel with that individual in that business venture that you yoke yourself with that person who's an unbeliever the core values that you have as a christian they are going to be challenged by that unbeliever and then also as a, an unbeliever uh, that perhaps a christian marries that as you have children as you have that marriage and you're one then there's going to be again those things that are going to be uh, not agreed upon and how you're going to raise the children and all of this and so the bible warns us listen don't do that I don't want you to get hurt. I want you to have a good life. And uh, I don't want you to be compromised in your life. So here Jehoshaphat violates what the Word of God has to say and the principle of the Lord. And the Lord in the Old Testament had said, don't you know, be linked to that which is false. And Ahab was one that was worship of Baal and, and false gods. So here comes Jehu, the son of Hanani. Now remember Hanani, his message to Jehoshaphat's father Asa, Asa, when he aligned himself with Syria, he aligned himself with an ungodly king. Asa, who trusted in the Lord, he was a good king. He was one that that trusted and called out to the Lord when this million-man army was coming against Judah. And there was rest under his reign for 35 years until the 36th year, as we saw, that it was then Asa that was... Uh, faced with another challenge as the house of Israel was making threats and, and coming down and making a blockade against Judah. So what did Asa do? He didn't seek the Lord, but what he did is he took the gold and the silver, the treasuries out of the house of the Lord, and he paid off the king of Syria, again an ungodly king. He yoked himself, he aligned himself with that ungodly king and made up this plan. Hey, attack Israel and then that's going to help me. And and the plan worked, but the thing is, Hanani comes and he tells Asa, Asa, why didn't you seek the Lord? Was this 
thing too difficult for the Lord to work in? You saw the Lord deliver you from a million-man army. Why didn't you go to the Lord? And know this, Asa, that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro across the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal towards him. The Lord so oftentimes wants to show himself strong on our behalf if we just have a loyal heart and trust in him and go to him. And Asa, of course, got angry and threw Hanani in prison. He was hard on the people, and he did not finish well. And Jehoshaphat didn't learn from his father, and he made an ungodly alliance. And so now Hanani, his son, comes along, and he rebukes Jehoshaphat in this yoking with King Ahab, um, that king up in Israel. And it's interesting, when you look at uh, 1 Kings, that it was God that tried to, to um, you know, uh, and God did give truth to King Ahab. Elijah was ministering during that time. And the word of the Lord came to Ahab, and Ahab had opportunity to see the power of God and the truth of God being worked out. But yet he continued to rebel against the Lord and the ways of the Lord. And so Jehu, he, he uh, comes and he rebukes Jehoshaphat. But I also want us to notice this, that in verse 3 he says, Nevertheless, good things are found in you, that you remove the wooden images and the in the land and prepared your heart to seek God. He encourages Jehoshaphat. Good things are found in you. It reminds me of what Paul writes in chapter 1 in the book of Philippians. He says that, approve the things that are excellent. And I just want to encourage all of us that, that perhaps as parents or as we minister to others, there are times where we need to come along and bring the word of the Lord and bring in correction to our children we need to bring correction to, to others. We need to be honest with them. Hey, you're involved in this, which is contrary to what the Word of God says that you're to do, or uh, this is an offense to God, this is sin, this is compromise. But we all have to do that. And particularly as parents, as we're raising our children, we always have to come and bring correction to them. But here's something that I hope is helpful to you, mom and dads, and to any of us that are ministering to other people, don't forget to approve the things that are excellent. Hey, you messed up, Jehoshaphat, but nevertheless, you are seeking the Lord. You've done some good things. You removed the wooden images and, and those high places, and you've prepared your heart to seek God. It's very important that we also come along and that we approve the things that are excellent. Hey, you're doing well in this. You're, you're doing good. The Lord would be pleased with this, and parents especially with our kids, because we can forget to do that. It seems like, I'll speak for myself, that it seems like I go through a day and i just oh, just getting on my kids or correcting them all the time. And I want to be one that also I want to encourage them and build them up. So there's a time for both. And there are also those in the body of Christ that feel like, well, I have the ministry always going around and correcting others and rebuking others. And there is that call that we have out of an attitude of love and humility and a desire to see people do well, to repent if they need to repent and be restored to that close, intimate relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ. But don't forget that we're not just always to be negative towards others, but also to, to build them up in the things, the excellent things that they are to be approved in, that they are doing well in the things of God. 
so we can bless others in that. And that's what Jehu does in, in helping Jehoshaphat be encouraged in that way. In verse 4, Jehoshaphat dwelt at Jerusalem, and he went out again among the people from Beersheba, that's way down south, to the mountains of Ephraim, and brought them back to the Lord God of their fathers. The time that Jehoshaphat was gone, it seems as though the people had backslidden. Again, for any of us that lead, as parents or as ministry leaders, when you have compromise, a compromise walked, it affects more people than we know. Paul was always saying, as I read his epistles, to those young disciples of his, young protégés, Timothy, Titus, some of the others, he would say to the Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate you know, Christ. And he wasn't saying that, uh, you know, I replace Christ. What he's saying is, as I follow Christ, then follow my example. Timothy, follow my manner of doctrine. Timothy, you be an example to the believers. So he was always encouraging them to walk in a godly manner, to be that godly example. And you and I should be ones that, yes, Lord, help me to be that godly example in faith and in love and in purity and in conduct, in my speech. Because if there is compromise, it does affect a whole lot of people that are linked to us in our lives that we are ministering to. I want to be a godly example to the people that know me and I have opportunity to minister to, whether it's my children or you here at Calvary Chapel. And I know that if I have a compromised walk or I fall into sin, that a whole lot of people can be affected by that and hurt by that. So Jehoshaphat, he goes up and he's got this ungodly alliance with Ahab and while he's gone and this war takes place, the nation ends up backsliding. And so here's Jehoshaphat. He's going to do some restoring and um, we see in verse 5, then he sets judges in the land throughout all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city. And he said to the judges, take heed to what you are doing. For you, uh, heed to what you are doing. For you, do not judge for man, but for the Lord, who is with you in the judgment. Now, therefore, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it. For there is no iniquity with the Lord your God, no partiality, nor taking of bribes. I want to remind us of a principle that I know that we've talked about just recently, but I think it's worth reiterating, and that is, is that Jehoshaphat, you remove the wooden images, you remove the high places, and now he makes restoration. And sometimes in our own lives, or perhaps you might be ministering to somebody who says, I want to have that, that restoration in my life to where I'm closer to the Lord. Uh, I just want to restore that, that closeness and that joy and that peace and being used of the Lord once again. But oftentimes, listen, for the restoration to happen, Oftentimes we need to go to the Lord and say, are there things that need to be removed? Is there an attitude of the heart? Is there sin? Is there compromise? That that needs to go, the high places, the wooden images of our lives, that needs to go first before true restoration really begins to happen. And it's a real key for us to understand and consider this as we see that reforms are taking place in the land. First, there was a removal of those things that were ungodly, compromising, not pleasing to God. So what he does is he sets up here, as we see, the um, this, um, judges to, to judge fairly. 
as we read these verses in verses 5 through through 7, that you're to judge with no partiality, taking of bribes, judge in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. Wouldn't these verses be wonderful to have in every single courtroom in our land? You are to decide in a godly manner and fear the Lord because you're judging for the Lord. But unfortunately, it isn't in our courtrooms, is it? I very much believe that these are dangerous days in which we're living in for our nation. Because what we have done is we've removed the Lord out of our courtrooms and out of our schools, out of our government. And I really believe that we're seeing and beginning to see an implosion of our nation morally, spiritually, financially. And it concerns me, and I know it concerns you as well. We see the difficulties and the upheaval and how it seems like it's getting darker. And, and for us to stand for righteousness, it's, it's going to get harder and tougher. I had this article I pulled up from Fox News yesterday, and perhaps some of you saw it. It says that U.S. Army defines Christian ministry as a domestic hate group. An article reads this, I'm going to read part of it, but several dozen U.S. Army active duty and reserve troops were told last week that the American Family Association, a well-respected Christian ministry, should be classified as a domestic hate group because the group advocates for traditional family values. The briefing was held at Camp Shelby in Mississippi and listed the AFA alongside domestic hate groups like Ku Klux Klan, neo-Nazi, Black Panthers, Nation of Islam. And so these guys are hearing that these conservative Christian you know, groups that, that you guys are giving to and listening to, that they're hate groups, and even being told that if they give to them or are associated with them, that you know, they could get in trouble, that perhaps that uh, legal action court-martial might happen. We've already seen several months ago that the chaplains in the military were told that you cannot proselytize, you cannot witness to the military personnel, that you again could be dismissed or court-martialed. And that's what we're seeing in our land. We're seeing that it's getting more difficult and harder for us to stand for truth because there's this spiritual decline, this, this pushing God out of our nation and accepting that which is dark and evil and wrong as being good and light. And right. And I'm mentioning this because for two reasons. Number one, it is going to get more difficult for you and I as Christians to stand for the truth of God's word and to say this is what God's word declares and we believe it and we're going to stand on that truth. So we need to be praying for one another. And when I see what has taken place in our nation and the things that I'm hearing in the spiritual condition of our nation, I think what's it going to be like in 10 years from now? What's it going to be like in 20 years? What is it going to be like that our young people who feel the call of ministry, how hard it's going to be for them to teach the Word of God? But we need to be ones that we encourage each other to stand for what truth is and what truth is being declared because we're going to take more shots and we're going to have more persecution. I believe that's going to take place in the direction that we're going that will come against you and I for standing for the truth of what the Word of God has to say. And we need to be strong in the Word and strong in the Lord and be courageous. And that's my prayer for all of you and for this church, Calvary Chapel. I know that 
that as I, I look, I, I see that, you know, this whole thing that as we see the government shut down and the, I guess they're working out a deal so we don't cancel and, and you know, our debts and be able to pay on those debts. But, I mean, think about it. $17 billion, a trillion, not billion, trillion dollars in debt. Every year we're running over a trillion dollars of debt. And that's not the liability debt. It's more like $55, $57 trillion. In other words, what we owe back to Social Security or whatever it might be. We can't sustain that. You know, it was interesting. I, I was teaching an Old Testament survey, and I was talking to the kids about um, the covenant that God made with the children of Israel there at Mount Sinai, the, the blessings and the cursings. And that covenant is, as we are seeing here in Second Chronicles being worked out, is that if you follow after me, I'm going to bless you. And you're going to have crops, and you're going to, you know, have the land, and I'm going to protect you from your enemies. And also, the Lord said in those chapters of Deuteronomy, chapters 28 and 29, that you are going to be able to lend to the other nations. You're going to be a blessing to them. That's the blessings that they receive. But if you forsake me, this is what's going to happen. The rains are going to stop. There's going to be pestilence and famines. You're going to be taken uh, over by your enemy, and bondage is going to take place. But also, it's interesting that you're going to be in debt to other nations. Isn't it interesting and sad and unfortunate? Fifty years ago, we were able to give to other nations. And all of a sudden, we're in deep debt to, of course, China and, and the debt that we have. And I believe a lot of it has to do with our spiritual condition. So second of all, the reason I'm mentioning this is because we need to pray for our nation and pray for our leaders. And I really believe this, that the only hope for our nation is if there's true revival. If there's a repenting and turning back to the Lord, a repenting of our sins. Nearly 60 million unborn children have been killed through abortion. We see that pornography is running rampant. We know that the homosexual agenda is spreading very quickly to where those who stand for what the Bible has to say are being called hate, you know, hate speech and in all of this, <coughs> excuse me. So we need to be praying for revival. There's a turning to that which is true in the Word of God and to stand on it. And that there would be revival with their leaders. So here's Jehoshaphat making these reforms in the nation. Let's continue reading verse 8. <coughs> and moreover, in Jerusalem, for the judgment of the Lord and for controversies, Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites and priests and some of the chief fathers of Israel when they returned to Jerusalem. And he commanded them, saying, Thus you shall act in the fear of the Lord faithfully and with a loyal heart. In verse 10, Whatever case comes to you from your brethren who dwell in their, their cities, and whatever the bloodshed or offenses against law or commandment, against statutes or ordinances, you shall warn them lest the trespass against the Lord uh, with wrath come upon you and your brethren. Do this, and you will not be guilty. And take notice, Amariah, the chief priest, is over you in all manners of the Lord. And Seb Sebadiah, the son of Ishmael, 
the ruler of the house of Judah, for all the king's manners, also the Levites, will be officials before you. Behave courageously, and the Lord will be with the good. And so we see Jehoshaphat kind of sets up a supreme court, if you would, in Jerusalem to judge the most difficult matters in Jerusalem. They were to judge fairly. They were to judge godly and courageously. Again, we need to pray for courage. It takes real courage to make that decision to please the Lord in your life and to stand for truth. And not to please man. It takes real courage for you, mom and dads, to make that decision in your home that we're going to please the Lord in our home. And we're not going to please man. It takes real courage for us in ministry and those who follow after the Lord to say that we're going to walk after the Lord. And I think that it takes real courage for a church to say that we're going to do those things that are pleasing to God and stand on the truth of God's word and not deny the name of Jesus. So it was Joshua who was told to be strong and of good courage. And that's the same commandment that the Lord gives to you and to me, to this church corporately, to be strong and of good courage. Because it does take courage to live for the Lord and, and stand for the truth of the Lord in the days in which we're living in. So Jehoshaphat gets some great things uh, as a godly king. And chapter 20, as we now move into that chapter, we read, And it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and the others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle <coughs> against Jehoshaphat. And then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon, Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Gebi is on the west side of uh, the uh, Jordan River. It's just uh, west of the Dead Sea. And so they are this, this huge uh, army and the enemy coming against Judah. They're already in Judah. <clears throat> now, in Gedi may ring a bell with you. That's where David would spend some time when he was running from Saul. Saul was persecuting him. And David was in Gedi. And if you ever go to En Gedi, it's really a fascinating place. It's out there in the desert. And it's like this oasis there in the desert. And you go up the canyon there. You can take a hike up there. And there's waterfalls. And there's trees. And there's wildlife. And it's very beautiful. It's very lush in that area of En Gedi. And that's where David and his men spent time. And there's a lot of caves up in there. And David would be in the caves. So here is this... Um, Group And we see that after the defeat of Ahab by the Syrians, <clears throat> Jehoshaphat, bringing spiritual reform to the land and to the nation, uh, he brought civil order to the nation. All of a sudden, difficulty comes. The Ammonites, the Moabites, and the other uh, that gather to come against Judah. The Syrians, again, are flexing their muscles. Now, the Ammonites and the Moabites were east of <coughs> Judah, um, called, you know, in that area. Today it's called Jordan, of course. And we know that the Ammonites and the Moabites were descendants of Lot. Chapter 19, his incestuous relationship with his daughters after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. The descendants of Mount Seir is the Edomites, and, and they are descendants of Esau. Remember Esau? He's the twin brother of, of Jacob. So these guys were a significant threat to Jehoshaphat, and he's fresh off the experience of, again, as I mentioned to you, as we just read, the Syrian battle. 
In verse 3, And Jehoshaphat feared and said himself to seek the Lord and proclaim the fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat is afraid. He very much is afraid. And the enemy is surrounding him. And as we go through this chapter, I want us to to take note of what we can do as we make application when we feel like the enemy is surrounding us, when difficulty has encompassed us. What is it that we can do as believers when we become afraid? Because I don't know about you, but there are times where I've become afraid in my life because, Lord, I'm being overwhelmed by the circumstances or the difficulty or I feel like the enemy's really coming against me. And I think that there's some, some principles here and there's some things that we can jot down to help us when we feel that way, when we're faced with that kind of thing. Let's continue reading in verse 5. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And verse 8, And they dwell in it and have built your sanctuary in it for your name's saying. So first of all, I think in verses 5 and 6, as Jehoshaphat begins to pray, in this prayer he has a proper perspective. So whenever that you're overwhelmed by the enemy or circumstances that are difficult, First of all, you seek the Lord. And you have a proper perspective that God is the one that is a big God. He's an all-powerful God. You're the one that created the heavens and the earth. And it's a familiar theme when you read about the men of faith in their prayers when they were facing challenges or difficulties that they would start out by having a proper perspective of God. God, you are a big God. And you are all-powerful. And we need to remember that as we seek the Lord in difficulties, that there's no problem that is bigger than you, Lord. If you created the heavens and the earth and created me, then there is no problem too big for you to work in and for you to be able to to work in a way that is pleasing and brings glory to you. So have a proper perspective. Sometimes we think our problems are bigger than the Lord. And the Lord says, no, I'm the creator of heaven and earth. And no problem is too big for me because I'm all-powerful. And then in verses 7 and 8, the second thing, not only do you remember as you have a proper perspective, but second of all, his past faithfulness. Remember God's past faithfulness. And I know that as I get older, that I want to remember the faithfulness of the Lord. That he saved me, he's forgiven me that his promises have been true for me in my life. And I know that he's not just going to leave me out, you know, uh, to dry, just, you know, um, say, forget you. I've worked enough for you. I've done enough favors. The Lord's going to continue to be faithful because he loves me. And here's the thing. If we can trust the Lord with our salvation and saving us and bringing forgiveness and making us a new creation, If we know that Jesus loved us enough to die for us, then we know that his love remains now. And we can trust him with our lives now. 
And then he's going to be faithful to us. So when we feel overwhelmed, remember this, just as Jehoshaphat is praying, you brought us out of Egypt. You know, you brought us into the land. You're the one that, that gave this promise to Abraham. We're your friends forever. And we've built you a sanctuary just as you wanted us to do. Lord, you've done so much for us. And the Lord has done so much for you and for me, hasn't he? He has saved us and brought us out of the world. <clears throat> and his, has forgiven us. And he has blessed us. And so we can remember his past faithfulness to us. And I'm sure that most of you, if not all of you, that you can look back at a time when it was hard and difficult or challenging, and you can say, you know, the Lord saw me through. And I want you to know this. If you find yourself in a situation that's hard or just being surrounded by, by that which is confusing or hurtful or the enemy coming against you, know that he's going to continue to be faithful to you. So number one, a proper perspective. Second of all, past faithfulness. Let's continue reading verse 9. If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now here are the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when it came out of the land of Egypt. But they returned from them and did not destroy them. And here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given to us as an inheritance. And uh, we see verse 12, O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Do we have the, the power to defeat those things that come against us in and of ourselves, we don't so oftentimes. And that's what Jehoshaphat is recognizing. We don't have the power to defeat this alliance. We know what to do. I want us to first of all notice in verse 9. We've talked about having a proper perspective of God. Remember his past faithfulness, but then thirdly, his presence. Verse 9, as we read, that you will hear and you will save. And in your presence, for your name is in this temple. You stand before this temple, Lord. You are with us. Remember that it was Paul that we saw a couple weeks ago. As he's in Jerusalem, he's going through difficulties. And he uh, has gone through three riots and a plot to have him killed. And the Lord came to him when he's locked up in the barracks and stood by him. And know this, that the Lord loves you and he's going to stand by you. And know that he is with you and he promises never to leave you or forsake you. He said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end. He is with you and he's not going to leave you. His presence. And that brings comfort to me to know that the Lord is with me. That he is here in this place. And he knows what you're going through and he sees you. And he's all powerful. And he's going to be faithful to you. And know that his presence is with you. And then fourthly, again, speaking of his power, he's the one that's powerful. Have you ever been in a situation where there's nothing that you can do? You are totally powerless. What do we do? Verse 12, our eyes are upon you, is what Jehoshaphat says. You see, what happens so oftentimes is we get our eyes on the circumstance. And we magnify the circumstances that are overwhelming us, and that's easy to do. 
We begin to focus on the circumstance. And, and I understand there's a tendency to do that. But what we need to do is we need to begin to magnify the Lord. And we need to set our eyes upon Him. Exodus chapter 14, you're familiar with the story. As the children of Israel are backed up against the Red Sea and, and the Egyptians are about ready to come down on top of them and kill them. And there was nothing that they could do. They couldn't go left, they couldn't go right because of the mountain ranges. They couldn't go backwards, they couldn't go forward. And what they did is they, as Exodus chapter 14 says, the people lifted their eyes and beheld the Egyptians marching after them. And it says that they were very much afraid. And Moses would cry out, Do not be afraid and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And when we find ourselves with our backs up against difficulties, and we can't go left or right, backwards or forwards, what we need to do is we need to lift up our eyes and see the salvation of the Lord. We need to keep our eyes on the Lord and magnify Him. And I know that can be hard at times. But as we do, we're going to see that His comfort is going to come to us. And He's going to begin to strengthen us. Remembering uh, that God is a big God, the proper perspective. That he's been faithful to me in the past and will continue to. That he is with me, his presence, and then also his power. That he has a way of escape for me. That he's going to make a way for you to get through what it is that you may be facing. And then verse 13 as we continue. And now all Judah with their little ones, their wives, and their children stood before the Lord. And then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benah, and the son of Jael, and the son of Mataniah, and the Levite, the sons of Asaph. Remember, Asaph was the great worship leader of David that written some of the Psalms that we have in our Bible. He's in the midst of the assembly, and, and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. In verse 15, he said, Listen, all you Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid nor dismayed, because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Fifthly, it's his battle. It's his battle. And there are times in my life where I said, Lord, this is your battle. And Lord, I give it to you. And that's what the Lord wants us to remember. That as we are seeking him and doing what is right, that it's your battle, Lord. And the Lord, he's already given us ultimate victory, hasn't he? Through the cross of Jesus Christ. That he's given us victory over sin and death as we've embraced him as our Lord and Savior. But we have many battles that we go through on this side of eternity. And it's good to be able to say, Lord, this is your battle. And Lord, you fight for me. And Lord, you protect me. You be my strong tower. You be my refuge. And the Lord loves it when we do that. I think it pleases Him. He wants us to do that. And it takes faith to say that I'm going to be still and see you and, and let you work, Lord, and let you do the battle that I am facing. As verse 16, we read, Tomorrow go down against them, and they will surely come up to you by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. And you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourself. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go up against them, for the Lord is with you. What a wonderful word. 
You guys go up here and you're not even going to need to fight. Position yourself. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Isn't that what Moses told the children of Israel? They didn't have to fight. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Because after this day, you're going to see the Egyptians no more. Hey, you guys, stand still. See the salvation of the Lord. And the Lord's going to do the battle. They didn't even have to fight. And I know there's been plenty of times in my life where I didn't have the strength to fight. I didn't know what to do. And it's like, Lord, this is your battle. And he took care of it. And I saw him, you know, be so faithful and just working in that situation that overwhelmed me, and you will too. And again, it takes real trust and rest to say, Lord, it's yours. And I'm not going to try to come up with a plan. I'm not going to try to get out of this situation in my own understanding, but I'm going to lean on you, and I'm going to trust in you, and I'm just going to allow you to do the battle for me because I'll see your faithfulness. And in verses 18 and 19, we read, And Jehoshaphat bowed his head and his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites and the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe as prophets, and you shall prosper. And when the people had consulted with the uh, and when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. When we're overwhelmed, proper perspective. Remember the Lord's past faithfulness and he'll be faithful to you in the future and in your present situation. Remember, thirdly, his presence. Remember his power. Fifthly, remember it's his battle. And then number six, praise. I think it's a good thing to praise the Lord in the difficult times that we go through. And here they knew that the Lord was going to see them through. And the Lord was going to work and they were praising God. And we can praise God, a Christian, and I don't want to minimize the hurt you might go through and the difficulties and the losses and the challenges that you may be facing, but we always have reason to praise God, don't we? And that's because we're forgiven and we have eternal life and we have relationship with the true and living God. And as we read in these verses that Jehoshaphat is told that you will be established and you and I will be established as we believe the Lord, as we allow him to to do our battle, as we remember that he's all-powerful, his presence, his faithfulness, as we remember the proper perspective of God, you will be established just as Paul was established as we read in our study of the book of Acts. You remember chapter 18, verse 10, that Paul, as he was city, in the city of Corinth, that no one's going to hurt you, and I am with you, and I have many people in this city, and it says that Paul was established for a year and a half. You want to be established in the Lord? Then believe him. Follow these principles that, that we have seen when we're overwhelmed, and know that we can praise God even in the difficulties, and I think that's a good thing to do to praise him, and I know it's a hard thing to do. And I know that's a hard thing to do. But we always got reason to worship and praise God for the wonderful things that he has done for us. 
So here, Jehoshaphat, they're going to see the faithfulness of the Lord. Let's see how the Lord defeats the army coming against them. Verse 22, Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord said ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. Oftentimes I have found victory in my life during that time that I am praising the Lord. And here as they're praising the Lord, victory comes. And when we are praising the Lord, you will find oftentimes that the victory will come at that time. And for the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So what has happened here is, is verse 24, we'll continue reading. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked towards the multitude and there were dead bodies falling on the earth and no one had escaped. So there was confusion as they, they killed each other. And of course, that's what happened with Gideon and his 300 men defeating the 135,000 Midianites. We know that's what's going to happen in the future as a large confederation of nations will come against Israel in the battle of Gog and Magog, that God will defeat Gog and Magog in that confederation of nations. And how the, he will defeat them is it says they will turn on each other and begin to fight each other. So this confusion that we see here, and they have great victory. Verse 25, when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables and the dead bodies, precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. And on the fourth day, as they assembled in the valley of Berachah, and for there were blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of the place was called the Valley of Berachah until this day. And when they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. So they came to Jerusalem with string instruments and harps of trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. So we see here that uh, they take the spoils. The nations fear the Lord, not because they had a superior army, but because they had a superior God. We have victory not because we're so superior and smart and intelligent and so together. It's because God is superior. And he's all-knowing and all-powerful. And so he gets the glory. In verse 31, as we finish quickly, the end of Jehoshaphat's reign, we read, that he was king over Judah for 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azabah, and the daughter Shel- Shelhi. And he walked in the ways of his father Asa and did not turn aside from doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for as yet the people had not directed their hearts to the God of their fathers. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, first and lad indeed, they are written in the book of Jehu, the son of Hanani, which is mentioned in the books of the kings of Israel. And after this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted very wickedly. And he allied himself with him and to make ships to go to Tarsus, and they made the ships in Ezon, Geber. But Eleazar, the son of Dodavah, of Merashah prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have allied, aligned yourself with Ahaziah, 
uh, and the Lord has destroyed your works, and the ships were wrecked so they didn't, were not able to go to Tarshish. He does it again. He allied himself with the wicked king of Israel, that is, um, Ahaziah. And they're going to build ships. They're going to go to Tarshish, and they're going to bring back all this money and all this gold. Instead of their ship coming in, their ships went down. Listen again. What we started out with, I want to finish with, that don't align yourself or ally yourself, yoke yourself with that which is ungodly. You will not accomplish God's will with compromise and sin. And know this, that you might think that if I do this, hey, I'm going to align myself, yoke myself with this ungodly businessman or whatever it might be because he's smart and the money's going to come in and you're going to think your ships are going to you know, come in and you're going to make a whole lot of money, but your ship's going to go down. And it's going to end up causing more pain and misery than you expected. So let's take heed to the word of the Lord. Jehoshaphat, again, not being discerning, already been rebuked by the prophet, ignored the word of the Lord again, and ended up experiencing negative consequences because of it. Father, what my prayer is is that that we wouldn't ally ourselves with that which is ungodly. But Lord, only that which pleases you, that which is right and godly. Again, I pray that we would have discernment in our lives. That, Lord, that um, we would be ones that we would know the judge between what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what can be hurtful, what can be beneficial, or what can set us back. Father, I pray for discernment. I pray that we would grow in the Word of God so we would be discerning and wise in our lives. That we don't have to go through a lot of mistakes. We don't have to get involved in things that uh, will hurt us and cause difficulty to us. Father, my prayer also is that we would be courageous in the day in which we're living in. Lord, we do pray for our nation. We look at it how rapidly that our, our society is turning to darkness and evil and condemning that which is truth and right. So Lord, may we be strong and of good courage. All of us in this room, in this church corporately. Help us stand for truth and to be a light to others. We pray for revival in our nation. Our nation is sick spiritually, morally, financially. We're bankrupt, literally. And we're becoming bankrupt spiritually. So Lord, we pray that our leaders, there there be a touching of heart somehow, that there be true repentance and a turning to you in a revival across this land. There'd be revival in, in churches. Lord, we want to be a church that we're pleasing to you, not just plain church. Or, Lord, we want to be a church that we stand for what's right and true, and that we're loving one another, and we're learning the scriptures, 
we really care for each other. Lord, help us to do that. And if there are things that, that Lord, we need to, to turn away from corporately and in our families, in our lives individually, Lord, speak to our hearts. We want to prepare our hearts to seek you. <clears throat> we want to do what's right. So, Lord, help us to be humble and courageous before you. Father, I pray that as we find ourselves at times going through difficulty, and if there's anybody here tonight that's overwhelmed with hardship, and that, Lord, that these principles that we looked at of having a proper perspective of you and your past faithfulness, knowing that you will be faithful presently, that, Lord, as we know you're with us, your presence and your power, and it's your battle as the enemy comes against us. And, Lord, that you've given us victory. And, Lord, that we can praise you. That may we find rest in our hearts and see you working, showing yourself strong on our behalf. Lord, help us to set our eyes upon you to see the salvation of the Lord. Father, what my prayer is is that right now that we would be encouraged. <clears throat> and Lord, if there's anybody here that wants to be restored, saying, I want to draw closer to you, Lord. Lord, I, I want to know you more. That that pleases you. But if there's anything that needs to be removed from our hearts, sin, compromise, in our lives, places where we're going, things that we're watching. Lord, help us to turn away from it, to remove those things out of our lives, to, to confess it, <clears throat> knowing that you desire to, Lord, restore as we remove those things. Help us, Lord. Help us. So, Father, I thank you for these lessons tonight, and I pray that you bless your people. Take us home. May we just continue on with you.